0: Be Christ's church, impact the valley, reach the world, all for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today we are blessed to have a guest preacher who will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. Hey, good morning, and thank you for that warm welcome. What a joy it is to be with you, North Roanoke. Uh, How grateful I am for the privilege of being able to share with you today. Thank you, Pastor Daniel, uh, for this opportunity. Thank you, uh, worship team. Jesse, wow, what a voice. Uh, It's powerful. Hope has a name. And we turn our attention to the Lord today and to his word. We're reminded that the name of Jesus in far too many places of the world has not yet been heard. And where his name has not been heard, there is no hope. Today our focus is upon why what we are doing together to declare the name of Jesus and his gospel among the nations is so important. And speaking of what we're doing together, I want to say Thank you, and indeed, Pastor Daniel, as you referenced, this church is an incredibly generous church in partnering with the International Mission Board. What, what that means is not only did you have a witness here in your community this year, and certainly uh, through your work with Virginia Baptists, Southern Baptists, you extend that witness, but, but through the IMB, your witness was extended this past year to 122 countries around the world. And on behalf of those 3,550 IMB missionaries who were that witness in 122 countries around the world, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your prayers for them, even as you prayed this morning. Thank you for your generosity and supporting their needs, ensuring that not only those 3,550 missionaries, but their 2,700 kids have everything they need as they have gone out from among us to the very ends of the earth to share the gospel. You're getting a good return on that investment. Uh, This past year, more than 700,000 people heard the gospel through those missionaries and their Baptist partners on the ground. 178,000 came to faith, professing the Lord Jesus as their Savior. So I celebrate it with you. Those are your missionaries. That is your work. And what a joy it is for me today uh, to be here with you and celebrate what god is doing not only here but to the very ends of the earth thank you pastor daniel for your ministry uh you and stacy being here now you say seven eight years right at eight years uh church aren't you grateful to have a pastor who leads you in such a faithful way and great job by the kids uh who uh, led us in worship well listen As we turn our attention to God's Word this morning, with that question in mind, why, uh, as we think about missions, as we think about uh, the IMB, as we think about the nations, why is that work so important? Why is the work that we're doing together so important? I want to turn your attention to a passage of Scripture in the book of Romans, chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, I'll begin in verse 9 in just a moment, but let me set a little of the context uh, for this passage Uh, for you. If you're familiar with the book of Romans, you know that the Apostle Paul does a lot in that book. Uh, He gives great clarity to the gospel, really traces through salvation history and what God has planned before the foundations of the earth were set in place, helps us to understand the church and missions. And one of the things that Paul does, while it certainly is a blessing to any who read his words, which are in fact God's word to us, One of the things that Paul does in the book of Romans is something that for him is very personal. As he is dealing with the matter of his own people, Paul was a Jew. Paul was an Israelite. And what Paul recognized is that he was one of the few Jews who had come to faith in Jesus. That as God had said he would bring the Messiah from among the Jews, and he had done that. It was also the case that most of the Jews, most of the Israelites rejected Jesus as Messiah. They did not believe in him. And so Paul uh, struggles a bit in questions, in fact, not only here in Romans, but in his other letters. What does this mean for all the promises of God to the Jewish people? I mean, as you read through the Old Testament, you can see that it is, it is chock full of promises that God makes to the Jews, the Israelites. Uh, he chooses them, his elect, to do a great work in them, makes many promises to them, but the greatest work in all of history, the work of saving humankind through the gift of Jesus and laying down his life for us, becoming the sacrifice for our sins, the Jews by and large had rejected. So what does this mean for the promises that God has made? Will those promises be kept? As you read, Paul's reflections, what you will ultimately be able to see is that Paul does believe all those promises that God has made, that the Israelites will be kept because God keeps every promise God has ever made. God's not a liar. God does what God says He will do. But here in Romans 3, we also see very clearly that the fact that God has made promises to the Israelites as a people does not exclude any individual, whether they are a Jew or not, from responsibility for their own sin and for what we do with Jesus as the Savior. So that's the context here. Picking up in Romans 3, beginning in verse 9, Paul, who is uh, wrestling with and dealing with these questions, uh, asked in verse 9, are we Jews any better off? No, he says, not at all. That is, all we bear off than those who aren't Jews, the Greeks, the Gentiles, everyone else. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps or snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. And if those words aren't condemning enough, don't miss verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Well, with strong words... Paul makes the point not just once but over and over and over again that the reality is whether you're a Jew or not we're all in the same boat and that boat is the boat of sin we have all sinned and fallen short and and because of that our relationship with God is broken we refer to that as being lost as Paul deals with this issue, really he's, he's, he's not only talking uh, about the condition of the Jews, but he's talking about obviously the condition of everyone else. And what, what he's ultimately doing is, is putting his finger on what is one of the greatest problems in our world today. In fact, it's the greatest problem in our world. Now, if I were to ask you what, in your opinion, is the world's greatest problem, there's probably lots of things that would begin to, uh, to go through your mind. It doesn't take but... Uh, just a few minutes of me reading through the headlines every day uh, on my phone, or if I can even stand to watch a television newscast, <laughs> before I'm almost clinically depressed as I think about all the problems facing our world. Uh, we have the war, as Pastor Daniel's already referenced, in the Middle East, uh, the prolonged war in Eastern Europe, uh, the suffering of so many people. The growing number of refugees, not only from these conflicts, but from so many other conflicts around the world. In fact, there are more displaced peoples on planet Earth today than any time in human history. More than 100 million people have had to flee their home, many of them their home country, because of wars and famines and unrest and genocide. Don't miss the fact that 43 million of those are children. does it look like to live as a child who is a a refugee you may not be aware of the fact that there are actually more slaves on planet earth today than any time in human history more enslaved almost 50 million people live as forced laborers in our world today what an overwhelming problem the problems of human trafficking the problem of global hunger this is a, a growing problem In fact, we're facing a hunger crisis around the world that we haven't seen in four decades. As many as two billion people in the world today will struggle to have a single meal to eat. 345 million, we're told, are on the verge of starving to death right now, today. Those overwhelming problems. I mean, just mind-boggling. How do you solve problems like that? And yet none of the things I mentioned are the greatest problem facing our world. The greatest problem facing our world today, I could communicate to you in a single word. And that word is lostness, spiritual lostness, the condition of human beings who have sinned against God, rebelled against God, and their relationship with their creator is broken. Now, why would I say, while people are literally fleeing for their lives from bullets and bombs, While there are people who are being trafficked, while uh, there are people who are living as slaves, while there are people who are literally on the verge of starvation, why would I say that? A spiritual condition is the world's greatest problem. Because that's what the Bible says. There are lots of reasons that that statement is true. But I want to highlight just two for you today. And the first is this, when you think about spiritual lostness as a problem in our world it is the world's greatest problem because it's the problem that lasts do you know almost every problem in your life ends the moment you die <laughs> it's not a novel thought is it but 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 think about it for a moment uh, we're at least those of us who are sports fans or are uh, paying attention today to who makes it in the college football playoffs well brother even if Alabama doesn't make it If you die today, you won't care. My vols are out. That hurt me. But if I die today, I won't care. Whatever your team is, you stop caring about those things the moment life on earth is over. Every problem the the lower back pain. It's gone. The moment you die. Problems in your family, problems in your marriage, problems at work, problems at school, they're over. The moment you die, every problem in your life ends the moment you die, but one. If you die lost, the magnitude of that problem only sits in the moment you die. What does that mean? The Bible says that God is love. What would it be like to face eternity with no love? And no source of love. That is the hatred of hell. The Bible says that the Spirit of God is our comforter. What would it be like to face forever with no comfort, no source of comfort in your life? That's the agony and the suffering that the Scriptures describe as hell. The Bible says that Christ is our joy. and We're celebrating that Joy this holiday season, and yet what would it be like to face forever with no joy? That is the sorrow and the grieving that the scriptures describe as hell. The Bible says Jesus is your life. What would it be like to face forever separated from the source of life? The Bible describes hell as the place of eternal dying, of eternal death. This is the only problem that lasts, and it lasts forever. And that's why lostness is the greatest problem in our world today. But there's another reason, in fact several, but I'll just highlight one more as we look again to Romans 3, and it is this, lostness is everyone's problem. It's a universal problem. There's no one who is exempt from this problem. Paul is making that point. As he asks his questions about the Jews, are you better off? No, we've already charged that all. Listen, I'm going to track through three or four verses here. You're going to hear Paul say the same thing in different ways nine times. Verse 11, we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. Or verse 9. Verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks for God. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And if anyone was reading Paul's letter back then or or hearing it read today and thinking to themselves or you're thinking to yourself, well, yeah, that's probably true of everyone else, but not me. Paul is going to use an illustration here. Uh, to uh, convince us otherwise it's the same illustration that James uses in James chapter 3 where James and Paul both are essentially going to say this you think I'm not talking about you <laughs> you think you've lived a perfect life you're you 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 have not seen you've not done anything wrong would you consider just for a moment your words your tongue If Paul was alive today, he might say it like this. Why don't you record yourself talking for a while and play it back? And then you'll know it's you too. Read an interesting article a few months ago from the Atlantic magazine. It was the title of the article that caught my attention. And I thought, I need to read that article. The article was entitled, Why the Past Ten Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid. Well, I need to see what that guy has to say. Uh, Well, that guy is a guy by the name of Jonathan Haight, H-A-I-D-T. And and it was fascinating to me because uh, it's not a Christian article, but but the author of the article, Jonathan Haight, as he began to talk about the problems in our culture and our society and in our country, referenced a Bible passage. Uh, It's a record from the Old Testament about the Tower of Babel. Do you remember the story of the Tower of Babel? Uh, It it was a time on the earth when when all the people of the earth came together and they wanted to do something great. They wanted to make a name for themselves. And so they determined they would have a building project. (laughs) And the building project would be a tower. And they wanted to build a tower that would reach to the heavens. A tower that would reach to God. But if you remember that story you'll recall that things did not turn out the way they thought they would because this building project that brought the people together ended up driving them apart so much so that even their languages were confused and they couldn't even communicate with one another god confused their languages what's fascinating the author of the article used that old testament story to make a point about social media he pointed to social media as one of the things that for the last 10 years have made American life uniquely stupid. He, 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 said, he said, this was supposed to bring us together. You know, we, we, we talk about uh, Facebook friends, right? But what an unfriendly place <laughs> Facebook can be. And, and he said, what was supposed to bring us together has driven us apart. But as he came to the end of the article... While I had enjoyed it up until that point, I thought, oh, no, you missed the point. You, you didn't finish the article. Because the problem is not Facebook and the problem is not social media. It's not Twitter or X or whatever platform, Insta, as my girls say. It's, 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 it's none of that. It's not the screen. It's not the keyboard. No, the problem is here. Right. It's a problem of the heart. Because the words simply reveal, whether they are typed or spoken, they simply reveal the sinfulness of our heart. Jesus said as much. He was speaking to a group of religious leaders called the Pharisees. Matthew chapter 12. Jesus, well, he began with a little name calling. He said, you Pharisees, you brood of vipers. You bunch of snakes. How can you who are evil do anything good, say anything good? Because out of the overflow of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. Your words, Jesus says, simply reveal your heart. Now it's fascinating that as Jesus referred to the Pharisees as a bunch of snakes, a brood of vipers, in talking about their words. Paul uses that same imagery here in Romans 3. Did you pick up on that? Uh, Paul says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Listen, the venom of asps or of snakes is under their lips. Anyone have a good snake story? <laughs> I have several. <laughs> but, but my best one comes from my teenage years. I grew up, as uh, Pastor Daniel mentioned, in Jellico, Tennessee, is actually... It's a little washed up coal mining town in the mountains right on the Tennessee-Kentucky line. Half of the town of 2000 is in Kentucky and half it's in Tennessee. But when I was a a boy growing up, in fact, I believe it was between my seventh and eighth grade years, I'd heard about a summer camp experience all the way over at the other end of Tennessee, down in western Tennessee towards Memphis, Tennessee, that, that very much got my attention. It was conservation camp. I'd learned uh, about conservation camp, uh, some things that had, had me interested in wanting to spend a week or two in conservation camp uh, that summer. Uh, one of the things I heard about conservation camp is you get to dissect a beaver in conservation camp. In the mind of a teenage boy, I don't know, but, but <laughs> what I did not know is that the beaver would be frozen and have to be thawed out in the bathtub in my cabin, but we thawed it out and we dissected it. It was a good time. But there was something else that I'd heard about conservation camp that caught my attention. I, I, I understood that one night for supper at conservation camp, they served rattlesnake. And I would never tasted rattlesnake, so I thought I'd like to try rattlesnake. But there were two things that made conservation camp just legendary. One was the snake roundup. And the other was the snake bite club. Uh, now, the way the snake roundup worked is uh, we'd ridden school buses from all over to get to conservation camp. I'd ridden... A uh, school bus from the mountains, East Tennessee, all the way down to Memphis. Tennessee's a very wide state. It, it, it was nine hours on a school bus. That's a bad ride. Don't ever take it. But I took it. But on the night of the snake roundup, we, all the kids got back on the school buses, and they drove us out to a swampy area right outside of Memphis. And they set us out. And we spent the night wading through the swamp, catching snakes. Now, now can you imagine how that'd go today? <laughs> I mean, you, you wouldn't as much as get the kids on the bus. Somebody would file a lawsuit. They'd shut that operation down. But I'm telling you, in 1983, you could literally fill school buses full of kids, dump them in a swamp, tell them to catch snakes all night, and get away with it. And that's exactly what we did. Well, it was the next day when, when the, the moment that we'd all been waiting for in that week of camp finally came around. Because the next day, one of the camp counselors took some of the non-venomous, the non-poisonous snakes we'd caught the night before, and he put them in a pillowcase, and he carried them all around the camp. And any camper who wanted to, voluntarily, uh, could join the snake bite club. It was a rather simple process. You put your hand in the pillowcase, you're inducted. Uh, But the problem is, by the time the camp counselor finally got down to The cabin where I was staying, where where we'd thawed the beaver out in the bathtub, it was all the way down at the end of the row of cabins. And apparently the snakes were tired of biting at that point. (laughs) Because I mustered up my courage and I stuck my hand down that pillowcase and nothing happened. And I looked at the counselor and I was like, nothing's happening. What do I do? He said, well, pull one out. And so I fish around a little bit and I get a hold of one and I pull it out. He's hanging there from my hand about as disinterested in me as my teenage daughters. (laughs) Nothing's going on. And so I asked him, I said, well, what do I do now? He said, well, slap him. (laughs) (laughs) Now, in case you didn't know, I assume you did, but in case you didn't know, snakes don't like to be slapped. (laughs) Because when I slapped him, he slapped me back. It was a toothy slap (laughs) right on the back of my hand. And that's the day I joined the snake Snakebite Club, and that is a true story. Because it's a true story, I need to make two very quick uh, qualifiers. One, that was not church camp. <laughs> I'm from a little further back in the mountains than you folk. We had those churches in our community. I, I, that's, I'm not that kind of Baptist. <laughs> it wasn't church camp, it was conservation camp. Uh, but, But the second thing you need to know is that that was not my first induction into the snake bite club. Truth is, I was born a member of that club. Lots of references in the Bible to serpents, snakes, vipers, asps. The first comes early on. You remember it, don't you? The old serpent slithers into the garden to tempt the woman and the man to do what God had told them explicitly not to do. And they did it. Disobeying God, they sinned. And from that moment on, everything changed. We refer to it as the fall. The moment sin entered the world and we see there in genesis 3 the consequences of sin upon all creation upon the serpent upon the man and the woman and the generations to come in fact as god curses the serpent and the man and the woman in genesis 3 15 god states that he will put enmity between the serpent and the man and the woman and between Their offspring. And you see the consequences of sin following in the very next generation as the sons of Adam and Eve are now born into sin. Conceived in sin, the Bible says, of everyone since the fall. But they also willingly choose to sin. And Cain murders his own brother lostness from the moment that sin entered the world spiritual brokenness in relationship with the creator became the world's greatest problem it was not just true for adam and eve it was true for their children and every generation is to follow Uh, fast forward to the days of noah and god brings judgment upon the earth through the flood because of the sinfulness of the people fast forward to the days of the prophets and the people are continuing to rebel against god and God, through the prophets, warns of coming judgment. But even then, God begins to speak about a solution to the world's greatest problem as He began, through the prophets, to speak of a Messiah who would come and die for the sins of the people. But every generation that has followed, this problem has continued. In fact, lostness is a greater problem in our world today and in our generation than it has ever been in human history. Why would I say that? One year ago, the population on planet Earth crossed 8 billion. Imagine that. And of those 8 billion, more are lost today than have ever been. Our research team at the IMB keeps track of a number for me. They update it each year. It's the number of people who every day pass away, having given no indication that they've heard the gospel, or if they've heard it, that they've believed it, that they've been saved. That number from last year to this year took its largest jump in human history. Today, 173,000 people will enter eternity lost having given no indication they've heard the gospel or if they've heard it, that they've believed it. And according to what the Bible teaches, that means they will be forever separated from God in hell. 173,000 people today and again tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that, every single day. There is no greater problem in the world than that problem. No problem even against a rival. That problem because it's an eternal problem but it's also a universal problem it's everyone's problem all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God praise God there's a solution to the problem if you were to ask me North Roanoke Church why are you here I would say that when it comes down to the real purpose that God has given you the purpose can be simply explained as this you're here to address the world's greatest problem because you know the solution. If you were to ask me why the IMB exists, I'd tell you the same thing. The IMB exists to send your missionaries to address the world's greatest problem. We know the solution. By the way, the IMB is hiring today. Uh, Students, if you want to spend a semester or summer with us a gap year, we'd love to talk with you. Young people under the age of 30, we've got a two-year fully funded program, called the Journeyman Program. We'd love to talk to you about that. We're sending career missionaries. Hey, we're sending more retirees today at the IMB. It really doesn't matter what your uh, career path has been, what you have done or what you are doing. We can use it somewhere. We can use a retired uh, doctor or nurse or police officer or IT worker, a retired farmer. Hey, listen, we can even use retired lawyers at the IMB. (laughs) So whatever you've done in life, seriously, there's a way we can use that. To share the gospel around the world. And we'd love to talk with you because this is the reality. The world has a problem, but we know the solution. What is that solution? It's fascinating. When Jesus was trying to explain to Nicodemus who he, Jesus, is and, and why he had come. And Nicodemus is struggling to understand the gospel and what Jesus would do for him. Jesus told Nicodemus, hey, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, How do you do that? You go back in your mother's womb? I'm an old oh man. How do you do that? And Jesus is like, No, no, no. You, you misunderstand me. And to help Nicodemus understand, it's fascinating that Jesus tells Nicodemus a snake story. You would find it there in John 3. It's a reference to another Old Testament passage. And this one at a time when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness. They were on their way uh, from slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land. But that generation, like every generation, was sinning and rebelling against God. And God brought judgment upon them in the form of deadly vipers, poisonous snakes that invaded the camps of the Israelites. And snakes were biting the people and the people were dying But the Israelites, seeing the consequences of their sin, the Bible says the wage of sin is death. They began to cry out to God for mercy. And Moses, their leader, cried out on their behalf. And God, who is a merciful God, provided a solution. Do you remember what that solution was? He said, Moses, fashion a, a, a serpent, a snake, out of bronze and put it on a pole and lift it up in the camp. And anyone who's bitten by one of these deadly poisonous vipers They won't die like everyone else has died. No, if they'll look at that serpent of bronze, they'll live. Now, Jesus references that story to Nicodemus. And here's what he says in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. He says, Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And any who look to him will have eternal life. And he was lifted up on the cross where he died for your sin and my sin and the sins of the world. And The Bible says anyone who believes that, who's willing to put their trust in Jesus and what he did on that cross and that he was raised from the dead three days later, we call that faith. Anyone who is willing to turn from their life of sin and turn to Jesus as a Savior, we call that repentance. And confess Him as Lord because He is Lord. The Bible says at that very moment, your greatest problem will be saved. It will be solved. Because at that very moment, your sin will be forgiven. At that very moment, you'll be adopted into the Father's family. And at that very moment, your eternal destination will change no longer headed for hell separation from god who is love the spirit who is comfort jesus uh, who is life and christ who is our joy no you won't be separated you'll be welcomed into his kingdom brothers and sisters the solution to the world's greatest problem is the gospel and god has given us this good news to share And yet billions of people around the world have never heard it. And that's why we're still here. And that's why we must go. Several years ago, there was a couple of men in a Baptist church uh, showed up in the church parking lot on a weekday evening. Uh, It was church similar to this one, and the fact that it was a Baptist church with a parking lot. (laughs) Uh, It was a little different uh, in the sense that that church and the parking lot would just about fit into this gymnasium, just a little church in a little town in the mountains. They came on a weekday evening because it was church visitation night. And they set out to do what they'd come to do. They were just walking through the town, the little neighborhoods, and knocking on doors, inviting people to come to church on Sunday. One point in the evening, they climbed a steep hill, Made their way up to a little rental house at the address of 210 Province Street. Stepped up on the porch, knocked on the door. Young man came to the door in his mid-twenties. I don't know if they knew his situation. It was a small town. They may have known all about his situation. You know how small towns are, but had they known much about him, they'd have known he was about two years past a divorce. And he was raising his three kids on his own. I don't know if they knew any of that. What they could not have possibly known is that the four-year-old somewhere in the house there that night would someday be the president of the International Mission Board. They couldn't have known that. But they knew enough. They knew enough to know broken families need the Lord. People not in church need to be in church. And God has a solution for every person's greatest problem. And so when Dad went to the door, they invited him to church. The next Sunday, he managed to get three rowdy boys ready on his own, and he took us to church. We went to Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, it soon became the pattern of our family. And what we found there was the same thing I found when I pulled up in the parking lot here. We found a church family warmly welcomed us and that loved us and shared the gospel with us a few years later there's another knock at our door we still live in that little rental house dad went to the door our pastor was standing there dad invited him in he'd, he'd ask him if he'd drop by one evening if he had time because my older brother had been asking questions about the gospel so brother Alan sat in the green chair in the corner of our living room And he shared the gospel with my older brother. My younger brother and I, we were sitting on the floor and we were listening. And Brother Allen got three for one that night. So we put our trust in Jesus. Say, baptized a few weeks later in the Baptist of the Little First Baptist Church of Jellicoe, Tennessee. I can't tell you how thankful I am. For a couple of men out knocking on doors. Who cared enough about their neighbors. To tell them, I know the solution to your greatest problem. How grateful I am for a pastor. Like Pastor Daniel. Whose greatest joy it was to share the gospel with one who needed to believe. How thankful I am for that little church. That knew I was there. And how grateful I am to be in a church like that today. North Roanoke. Don't forget why you're here. You wouldn't have to go far of the parking lot. You'd find a broken family. Lost man, woman, boy, girl. You know what their greatest problem is. And you know the solution to it. Get on a plane with us. The IMB will show you billions of people like that. That's why we're here. Don't forget why you're here invite you to stand. As we come this morning to a time of commitment, the worship leader is going to be coming. Your pastor will be here at the front. Today, as you've thought about the message, or maybe in recent days, the way the Lord's been speaking to you, you've realized, hey, I've got a problem. (laughs) If I were to die today, I, I have no reason to believe that heaven will be my eternal home because I know I've sinned but today you recognize God has done everything that needs to be done in Christ to solve that problem and you're ready today to put your trust in him if that's the case we want to ask you as we seen, you come forward share that with pastor Daniel we we want to rejoice with you maybe you have questions what what does that mean what does that take he can answer those questions maybe the Lord is leading you to be a part of this church family that knows why it's here and, and would welcome you to join hands with them and sharing the gospel in this community. Maybe the Lord's put the nations on your heart. Today, you'd want to learn about what it's like to go. I'd love to talk to you about that. I'll be here on the front row. It's not my invitation, though. It's not the invitation of the church. The Lord is the one who invites. You respond to Him, and then come. Share your response with us.
1: As we, uh, as we close... Why don't we pray for Dr. Shitwood, for the International Mission Board, once again for the progress of the gospel as we seek to penetrate lostness with the greatest solution ever heard. God, our Father in heaven, you've inspired us this morning with a reminder of something that we already knew, but God, we, we confess it's so easy to, to block out the greatest problem because it's, it's so massive. It's so enduring, it's so universal, and yet, God, you have sent a solution, and you have saved a people, and you have saved us not to just sit in a pew, but to be sent out and to be spent for your glory, whether that's here or around the world or somewhere in between. So, God, we ask that you would answer our prayer, that you would continue to raise up men and women to go from North Roanoke Baptist Church, that you would bless and prosper the ministries of the 3,550 missionaries that we are supporting today and every Sunday. And God, we ask for strength and endurance and courage for Dr. Chitwood and all that he leads. God, that you would do more than they could ever hope or ask or imagine. God, that you would exceed their greatest expectation, that worldwide revival would be something that would happen and that the International Mission Board and the 47,000 churches partnering with them would be a part of it. And We pray it for the glory of Christ because he's worthy of it. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanup.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.